0: After the proclamation of God's Word, we'll sing from hymn 48, stanzas 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes you purchase a vehicle, a car, and after owning it for a few years you end up concluding that you purchased a bit of a lemon. You've got a friend who's got exactly the same vehicle, exactly the same model, exactly the same year, and they have no problems with their car whatsoever, For yours, it's in the garage over and over again. You come to the conclusion that you bought a dud, a lemon. You wonder what was going on on the production line the day that your car came off. Did God create you a lemon? Did God do something wrong when He created Adam and Eve? That kind of question takes you aback, doesn't it? It seems to be an irreverent question, blasphemous even, and certainly not worthy of a second thought. But brothers and sisters, the catechism does not shy away from that question. It asks exactly that question, and it asks it straight out. At the end of Lord's Day 2, we heard the verdict about ourselves. It's there in answer 5. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbour. That's what it says. That's pretty bad. Truth be told, it's downright terrible. I am inclined by nature to hate God and hate my neighbour. But how come I'm like that? Again, the catechism does not shy away from blunt questions. And question six is a blunt question Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? Did God make mankind a lemon? Was there a major glitch during the creation process? Did God make a mistake when he created Adam and Eve? I'll bring you God's Word this afternoon using this as our theme. God created the human race to live for Him. But consider this afternoon, created man and his free will, fallen man and his depraved will, recreated man and his renewed will. So first of all, created man and his free will. The answer to question six, you can see it there, immediately puts to rest the thought that perhaps it's God's fault that we are so wicked and so perverse by nature. Answer six, the first word, no. No, God did not create man so that he would be inclined by nature to hate God and his neighbor. But answer six, you'll notice, does not leave it at the word no, although that would have been a perfectly sufficient answer. It would have been enough. But the authors of the catechism here take the opportunity to explain how God did in fact create the human race. And the authors of the Catechism do so to ensure that we understand the full extent of our fall into sin. So, how did God create man? How was it really before the actual fall into sin? What was the height of our existence back then? Well, says answer six God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness. And then why did God create us that way? Well, the answer goes on, so that he might rightly know God his creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. There is, in a word, a difference between the creation of human beings and the rest of, that, of creation. The description we have there in answer 6 does not apply to any other part of creation except for mankind, the human race. We've read that in Genesis 1. God created everything else, including the animals. But when God in Genesis 1 records for us the creation of Adam, verse 26 tells us that God said this, let us make man in our image after our likeness. It's that wonderful reality that sets us as human beings apart from the rest of creation. You know, as well as I do, that in our world today, there's a huge push to equalize everything. We're animals just like everything else. But Genesis 1 makes it clear that's absolutely not true. Mankind was perfectly created by God in his own image. That's true of no other part of creation. We were created by God with an intellect that allowed us to discern good from evil. God created Adam and Eve with an ability to reason that allowed them to rule over the creation in a way that reflected perfectly God's rule, how God would have ruled. He created them with a will that allowed them to choose for God and follow Him out of love and out of a deep-seated desire to serve Him from the heart. For Adam and Eve to have been created in the image God meant That they could to use the words from the catechism rightly know God their creator it meant that over time they would grow to a deeper and more wonderful understanding of who God is try and understand this it's so hard for us to imagine given, given that we live in a sinful world Adam and Eve's learning about God was never ever clouded by sin imagine that never hampered by sinful reasoning either Again, imagine that. And as they grew in that knowledge about God, they would also heartily love Him. Again, that love for God, for them, was never stained with doubt or second thoughts. They could freely love God, freely will to live with Him in eternal blessedness. And they did it all out of a desire to praise and glorify Him. The Canons of Dort, in chapter 3, 4, Article 1, describe it like this. A beautiful description says this. In the beginning, man was created in the image of God. He was adorned in his mind with true and wholesome knowledge of his creator and of all spiritual things. His will and heart were upright, all his affections pure, and therefore man was completely holy. And in that state, with those gifts, they were to rule over God's creation. They were to take care of it. We sang it from Psalm 8. You little lower than divine have made him, and so with glorious honor have arrayed him. All things you gave him as his domain, that over your creation he might reign. God created Adam and Eve with a free will so that they would indeed love and serve him in all aspects of their task rule over his creation not as pre-programmed robots who mindlessly did what they were supposed to do no adam and eve were created with the will which freely motivated by their love for god chose for god in every situation theirs was a willing loving service And God, brothers and sisters, you can be sure of this, He delighted in it. He created man that way and for that purpose and He looked at it all, we read it again, and it was very good. Of course it's true. You, I, we can't imagine what that would have been like to live like that. Perfectly perfectly living for God's honour and God's glory. Taking absolute delight in doing what your creator wants you to do. Feeling that joy of doing your work on earth in such a way as to maximize the glory God receives. Having the thrill of knowing God's delight in the fact that what you've done has pleased Him. Knowing the satisfaction of doing a day's work where everything has been done in perfection. Having that will out of a deep and passionate love to freely honor the King, to live every moment when putting the kids in bed, when you're doing your homework, when you're driving your car, when you're laying in bed, to live every moment deeply conscious of a full and complete and whole and perfect and deeply satisfying relationship with Him. See, that's how God designed us to live. We switch it off and it is off. That's the way it should still be. Let's go ahead. Okay. So, we've just tried to describe what it would have been like for Adam and Eve to live in that perfection. And, brothers and sisters, what a privilege. What a wonder it would have been to live like that. To have such a complete and full relationship with God. See, and that's what Adam and Eve had. And, brothers and sisters, we've got to understand this. That was God's perfect design for the entire human race. Really, that's the way it should still be. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? Did God make a mistake during the creation process? Were Adam and Eve a creation lemon? No. On the contrary, we know from God's Word, summarized here in the Catechism, God created man good and in His image, perfectly able to freely live for Him, for His praise and His glory, to live with Him in eternal blessedness, That's how God made us. Well, from where then did man's depraved nature come? That's our second point. Answer 7 of the Catechism says, uh, sorry, answer 7 answers that question. From where then did man's depraved nature come? The answer says, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Yes, it's noted there, in paradise, where everything was good. Everything was so perfect. Where Adam and Eve lived, freely serving God, motivated by love for their father, it happened there in paradise. How devastating. What happened? Adam and Eve made a choice. They chose to disobey. The Belch Confession says it this way in Article 14, but when man was in his high position, the one we've just described, He did not appreciate it, nor did he value his excellency. He gave ear to the words of the devil and willfully subjected himself to sin and consequently to death and the curse. The word choice of the catechism is accurate. Willfully subjected himself. Man did not have to, but he willfully, freely chose for the devil. And what resulted from that fall man's will then became totally depraved where previously adam and eve could freely choose to love god and bring him glory that was now no longer possible now the will was depraved totally depraved the only sense in which it was still free was in that they were now freely choosing to do what was wrong they, their will was now totally depraved and slave to sin. And again, Article 1, in Chapter 3, 4 of the Canons of Dort describes it like this. But rebelling against God, that's what it was, brothers and sisters, rebellion against God. Through the instigation of the devil and through his own free will, he deprived himself of these excellent gifts and instead brought upon himself spiritual blindness, horrible darkness, Futility and perverseness of judgment in his mind, wickedness, rebelliousness, and stubbornness in his will and heart, and impurity in all his affections. With such a will, man no longer lives for his Creator. What the Canon of Dort describes there is based on Ephesians 4, verse 17 through 19, which we read. Now, this I say. And testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Brothers and sisters, that's what the depraved will does. And verse 18 there really summarizes the result of the fall, the depraved will that is ours because of the fall, alienated from a life with God. Try and picture it. From life before the fall, lived in the dizzying, beautiful heights of perfect communion with God, to the life post fall, lived in the unfathomable depths of life apart from god there is no greater distance than between those two it is life down there that does not know god does not love him either does not live for his honor and glory either you want to know what a life like that looks like in practice we read a description of such a life in 2 kings 21 verse 1 through 9 It's the first part of the description of the reign of King Manasseh of Judah. His dad, you might recall, was that very faithful king, King Hezekiah. Much is written about him in Kings and Chronicles and also in Isaiah. Hezekiah was a faithful king, but not his son Manasseh. Manasseh gave free reign to his depraved will. Again, what does it look like? Well, verse 3 of chapter 21 of two kings, he rebuilt the high places that his dad had destroyed same verse verse three he erects altars to baal and made an asherah pole he bows down to the sun and the moon and the stars in both courts of god's temple what does he do he builds altars to the starry hosts and listen if you can bear to hear this he sacrifices his own son in the fire Those of us who are blessed with children, try and imagine that placing your own son or your own daughter in the fire for the sake of some God. He practiced sorcery and divination. He consulted mediums and spiritists. He took that carved Asherah pole he'd made and he put it in the temple of God. He did more evil, notes verse nine, than all the nations that God had driven out from before Israel he was even worse than the people who had occupied the land before God sent them out and let his people Israel in Manasseh brothers and sisters during this part of his life lived life truly separated from God he did not know God was not interested in loving God, did not live with God, did not seek in any way at all to praise and glorify God. Manasseh's life describes what can happen with a depraved will, a corrupt nature. And you know as well as I do that there's plenty of modern day examples of this. The likes of Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Pol Pot, And the list is long and the life stories of these men and many others are horrendous beyond our imagination. See, the depravity of our depraved will and corrupt nature seems to know no limits. Our country, Canada, has a few examples of her own. You might remember the name Robert Pickton, Clifford Olson, others, rapists, mass murderers. It makes your stomach churn just thinking about the things that they did. Again, their lives, too, describe what a life lived in separation from God looks like. Their lives describe very vividly for us what a depraved will and corrupt nature can do. And Brothers and sisters, I need you to notice something about answer 7. Listen. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fallen disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve in paradise, And I want you to hear this. For there, our nature became so corrupt that we're all conceived and born in sin. Our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. That, in case you didn't notice, includes you and me. That's everyone who ever lived since Adam and eve that means, brothers and sisters, hear this well, that I have something, so do you, something very much in common with King Manasseh, 2 Kings 21, have something very much in common with Stalin, Hitler, Pol Pot, Robert Picton, Clifford Olson, and whoever else you can think of. It means that the same corrupt nature that they all inherited from their parents I you inherited from yours so that means let's follow this through that means that you or I could be a hitler a robert picton we share the same depraved will as they it means that you and I have the depraved nature that could make us murderer of millions a raper of women and children it means that in my born in sin nature I could sacrifice one of my sons on an altar to some God like King Manasseh did you sit there and you say no way no way you say there's no way I could be a murderer or a rapist or a killer of children There's no way, you say, that I could live such a life separated from God. But brothers and sisters, God says, yes, there is. Such is the depraved will of man. Such is our corrupt nature, verse 18 and 19 of Ephesians 4 again. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Understand, by nature, you, I, could be just like any one of those horrendous criminals we've just mentioned that's the reality brothers and sisters that's the reality that's how far we have fallen and we are to know this too that we are by nature so depraved and corrupt that we are like that has nothing to do with the way that God made us it has instead everything to do with our own deliberate disobedience in our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. It's our faults. It's our faults. We come to our third point. It's enough to make you feel down, I think. It, it's enough to suck the hope out of you. Particularly if you're struggling with some sin in your life and look let's be honest who of us if we're honest isn't struggling with sin it's enough to get you down totally unable to rightly know God totally unable to heartily love him totally unable to live with him unable not to sin together with question 8 we weakly lift our hand And we raise one last objection against god's verdict on our fall we weakly raise our hand and we ask but are we so corrupt are we so corrupt that we're totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil is there not just a little bit of redeeming value in us we want to know is it really that bad the answer says yes it is the answer is yes we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil but look at that answer there's an other word after the word yes there's no period there there's a comma yes that's how bad it is unless unless yes unless we are regenerated by the spirit of god it is that bad unless a miracle occurs a doctor might be standing by the bedside of a terminally ill patient he shakes his head and he says there is no hope anymore but then he might add unless a miracle occurs god has given us the diagnosis on our fallen depraved will It's summarized here in the catechism the truth about our depravity has been told we see it we recognize it and it's terrible news that can't be any worse it really is that bad the corruption of our our depraved will is so great that there is no hope for us unless unless a miracle occurs here's good news the good news for us redeemed sinners is simply this a miracle did happen has happened what is impossible for us dead in sin that we are god did that we are like we are is our fault yes absolutely we have to own that but but god performed a miracle The miracle of regeneration, of recreation. Christ died and his death makes us new. He gives us his spirit by whose work we are regenerated. So his answer eight. It's the gospel. God starts over with us. Despite our fall and our deadness in sin, he, in his grace, in his mercy, he starts again recreates us it's what Paul describes in many places including the passage we read from Ephesians 4 verse 22 through to verse 24 again let me read it for you to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and here it is and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice the passives there. Something happens to us. It's the miracle. Yes, it's the miracle of the regenerating work of the Spirit to be made new in the attitude of your minds and created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, that passage said. Those are things that we don't. We can't do for ourselves or on ourselves. This, brothers and sisters, is the stuff of miracles. This is the regenerating work of the Spirit. And listen, if you belong to Christ, if you have been bought by His blood, then this is happening to you. It is. If Christ has died for you, then you are Yes, right now too, being recreated. What changes then when we are regenerated by the Spirit of God? Well, Article 16 of the third and fourth chapter of the Canons of Dort says it this way. It describes very beautifully how our will is being renewed. Listen to what that article says, page 579, if you want to look it up. It says this. The second sentence, so also this divine grace of regeneration does not act upon men as if they were blocks and stones and does not take away the will and its property, properties or violently coerce it. So God doesn't come to us and just turn us into robots so that we obey him. No, but makes the Holy Spirit makes the will spiritually alive. He takes our will, in other words, and he enlivens it. He heals it, it says here, corrects it pleasantly and at the same time powerfully bends it. As a result, where formerly the rebellion and resistance of the flesh fully dominated, now a prompt and sincere obedience of the Spirit begins to prevail in which is true spiritual renewal and freedom of our will consists. Brothers and sisters, that's the radical change that comes about because of the Holy Spirit's renewing work. Yeah, it's true. Absolutely, it's true. The struggle with sin in this life is still real and it remains real. Our sinful nature, every one of us knows that. Our sinful nature still raises its ugly head at times. My natural inclination, apart from the Spirit's work, is still towards the wrong. But at the same time, and how glorious this is, a change is happening a delightful change, a wonderful change. We are being recreated to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Answer six. God created us perfectly, able to love and worship him. Answer seven, it was all lost and it's our faults. But answer eight, God recreates us by the regenerating work of his Holy Spirit to be more and more like Christ. And if God, and if God the Holy Spirit, think about this, if god the holy spirit is at work in me like that then my eyes of faith shoot back up to answer six to get a glimpse of what he is doing in me there i discover that with the spirit's work in my life i can increasingly know god yes the way he created us there i discover to my absolute delight that I can love him and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. Because of what follows that unless in answer eight, we brothers and sisters are no longer down there, but God is renewing us, sanctifying us so that we grow in our relationship with him. This really is incredible. Think about it. We can live with him. Despite, yes, despite what we did to ourselves in paradise. God the Holy Spirit, busy renewing our wills. That is not just theoretical, it's not just theological, it's not just a truth that's tucked away in the Bible somewhere it is brothers and sisters transformational it has implications for life it cannot it cannot leave us passive or inactive paul made that clear to the ephesians 2 after verse 22 through 24 in which he talked about the renewing work that god is doing he comes to verse 25 Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak. There is something that we are to do, just like this morning. It means this, the Ephesians are not then to resist the Spirit's renewing work in their lives. They have a calling, a responsibility to act accordingly. Right there, verse 25, he's just described the new life. Verse 25, therefore because of what the Holy Spirit is doing, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you, etc., etc., etc. And therefore follows that whole list of what we are to do. Yes, brothers and sisters, it's what we must do because the Holy Spirit is busy in our lives, in our hearts. But understand this well. This must of the must do, that must is not a reluctant must, oh I guess I have to, no, of course not, it's a must that wants to, out of a deep-seated and heartfelt thankfulness for the renewing work that the Spirit is busy with in my life, it's a must that wants to. In a moment, you're going to go home. But when you do, and you wrap up your weekend and get stuck into your week, when you get out of bed tomorrow morning, then ask yourself a question. Is the renewing work of the Spirit, the renewing work that the Spirit is doing on my will, as described in the of Dort? As described in answer eight is the renewing work that the spirit is doing on my will having an impact on all areas of my life we're back at where we were this morning are you ready to allow the spirit to do his regenerating work in every corner of your existence Delighted as you are in the renewing work of God, excited as you are to live for His praise and His glory, are you ready now to allow the love of God to totally transform every area of your life that is in need of transformation? Are we ready? And I totally include myself in this. Are we ready to live every moment? To go back to that list from the first point, are we ready to live every moment? When you're putting your kids in bed, when you're doing your homework, when you're driving your car, when you're on the golf course, when you're laying in bed, are we ready to live every moment deeply conscious of the absolutely wonderful reality that I have a living relationship with the God of heaven and earth because God created us to live like that for him and he's busy right now regenerating Each and every one of his children so that they will, each and every one, reach that point where they will live in absolute perfection to him. Amen.